this is Stephanie Marco, good friend of mine. And yeah, want to give like a little introduction of who you are and what's <laughs> going on. Oh, well, I'm Stephanie and um, I am a spiritual coach, love coach. I work with people on helping them transform things in their lives that are holding them back from their highest self, their highest purpose. Um, I do that with one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do that through yoga and meditation, retreats, um, classes, and full immersives um, through the mediums of Tantra and many different aspects of Tantra. Nice. Yeah, I saw for a, a while, I guess during like COVID, you were in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And is that what you were doing is kind of getting acquainted with this path of life? Yeah, well, I had been studying for 18 years um, at that point. And um, I had always wanted to be a teacher. And I was sort of stuck in the rat race of New York life, which um, there were many creative aspects of that I, that I loved. I, I had a creative agency for many years. Um, and throughout that time, I was sort of living a double life where I really wanted to incorporate spirituality into some of these luxury brands that I was launching and developing, but it never felt like that was going to happen in an authentic way. So yeah. I was living this spiritual path and loving it, but not feeling like I had the confidence or the, the financial wherewithal to just completely change my career. And um, things started to sort of reach kind of, um, I would say like, a fork in the road, you know, kind of a, came to me really um, in late 2019. And I said, you know what, I, I really want to go to this ashram. I was feeling so called to go live at this ashram. And so in February, I left for Thailand to study with um, Bhagavan um, Sri Shamuka Anantanetha, my, my teacher, my guru, uh, in a program, a three-week program to begin with. Um, with 93 other students. Oh, there's that many people there? Mm -hmm. And wow. yeah. And so I went there to sort of see like, can I actually teach this? Yeah. I've been studying it for so long, but can I get this other form of Tantra, which is tr traditional Tantra, which is what we studied there. Um, and I had studied Taoism and Kundalini and um, many different aspects of Tantra, but not traditional uh, Tantra. So going there was incredible and uh within three weeks of being there we went from, from 93 students to 11 students wow. and uh because COVID hit and, oh, gotcha. and i decided to um to stay hmm. yeah you were there for longer than i i thought you were just going there for a trip and then i was like well, does steph live in thailand now? <laughs> i thought i was just going for a trip too right? <laughs> yeah. um but COVID hit and i was calling my family in new york and my friends and everyone was like oh my god stay yeah don't, don't that's leave. a great place to be for that whole time frame yeah so just going back a little bit because that's i didn't know that about you from i guess when i first met you i didn't really know what you did um i've kind of been tending to not ask people what they do when i first meet them because it's like that's what defines so many people so true right it's like oh so what do you do it's like that's how i'll rate you in my system of whether you're worthy to talk to me or not it's like what people do kind of yeah right yeah but that's interesting because you came from a background that essentially seems like it kind of led you here you studied for 18 years um and then basically with studying tantra and i guess i'm assuming other things like it right you're studying just tantra or like many other practices well there's various forms of tantra i mean right. they're kind of infinite you have tibetan buddhism which is a form of tantra you have taoism which is also rooted in tantra but from more of the chinese 
uh, position. You have traditional tantras, and then there's so many sects of that tantra. Um, but essentially, I studied non-duality um, and the spiritual approach of non-duality, which is uh, essentially the idea that there is no heaven and hell, that um, we are instead um, infinite creatures. Uh, we are all infinitely connected as one consciousness, and that we um, can approach duality and this feeling of separation within us to create union within us um, as a practice and then find that union outside of us to elevate consciousness. And that's what we're kind of going through right now in this big awakening that people are feeling and sensing yeah. is this realization that we aren't separate. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think, uh, so, okay, so then when you're on this journey of 18 years, maybe even unbeknownst to you, you didn't think you'd be pursuing it as a profession or as like a macro part of life, if you will. Mm. So you think that you kind of found spirituality, if you will, like in this like path of um, exploration, do you think that the corporate world kind of led you here in a sense? Like, because it seems uh, same, like I... I can I kind of dabbled in corporate world for a while and even just trying to obtain sponsorships for things that I was doing for racing uh it just started to lead me to a place where I was like well, I, what yeah. I have to be a certain way I have to yeah. act a certain way I have to appease this type of group to fit the narrative so does it for the for you did that fit and that's kind of what drove you into this path I mean there were so many things and it really started in my childhood because I was um encouraged to go into acting at a very young age. And my personality was very shy. Yeah, you are shy. So kind of... <laughs> I do have a shy side. You yeah. know me well. But um, but I know and have learned how to also perform. And I like yeah. that I've developed that part of myself. And I do feel that it's integrated as my, my true self now. Mm -hmm. But at that age, when you're a child and you're not accepted for who you're being, the narrative, the internal narrative is, I need to be somebody else to get love. Yeah. And so we grow up thinking that that's just the way it is. And we find ourselves in these jobs, in these circles where maybe we love the creative aspect or for you, like the athletic aspect, the adventurer aspect. But the scene is conformist. Yeah. And once we're kind of told that we have to be a certain way to get love or our needs met, um, we will shut down those true sides of ourselves and not actually be happy in life. And and for me, I always sort of felt when I looked out into the world and to the people who were around me, um, that they weren't really happy. And I sort of knew that intuitively and felt very called, I, I grew up Catholic, called to a higher purpose, a higher thing. I remember like laying on the floor in my house, very young, and having this feeling overcome me where I was conscious of my consciousness, where I was like, oh, this, like, this body, this house, this, this isn't everything. I have this other voice inside of me. I don't know what it is. It kind of freaked me out. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember my whole life just, you know, going to church and being in community and in that kind of way of devotion to like this higher power was something very healing and and it felt soothing to me and I loved like Mary Magdalene and her story and Mother Mary and and these types of uh, deities who represented something bigger so I always wanted to sort of learn like what is that on a bigger global scale totally 
Yeah, that's interesting because it's I've I've been finding if it if you go to a Burning Man experience, which I have not, but I know a lot of people that go, and so many people that go are from the corporate world. It's like everybody's so hungry to find out about truth and what is the actual meaning of existence because especially where we live in the Hamptons where everybody has everything or what ex, you know existentially they, they seem like they have everything they have all these material things but ultimately so many people feel empty so many people I talk to just are it's like hell on earth if there's no heaven or hell it's like there is a hell and it can be here on earth if you make it that way yeah you know um, so okay so you're practicing Tantra and, and the many forms of Tantra right so what is Tantra? Because uh, the Western world essentially sexualizes everything. And when <laughs> people say Tantra, they always get this weird idea of it. So what is Tantra to you? Or Yeah, I mean, it's so many things. And um, it, firstly, it's it's a science. It's a metaphysical science. It's a science of maturing. It's a science of going through the human experience and understanding that the things that are put in our way are meant to elevate us and expand us into the higher souls that we're meant to be. Um, so it's the science of understanding that process and um, of returning to our true nature. So that childlike essence, that thing that illuminates us. And so part of that is our sexual energy. Our sexual energy creates everything the polarity between the masculine and the feminine is a law of nature. And so when we can understand that masculine and feminine energy that exists within us and all around us, we can start to merge with that and use that as a tool for our expansion. And so that expansion comes through understanding our desires and not distorting them or perverting them, but purifying them so that they can be expressed through our heart and out into the world to uplift humanity and ourselves. So it is really um, discovering this path of how to get there because it sounds really neat and romantic maybe when I say it, but getting there requires us to let go of a lot of things that are that we've been conditioned to believe about life and ourselves. Yeah. So what is for? Excuse me for this, but what would you say some negative misconceptions of tantra are? Because like, I've known a couple tantra. Teachers, is that is that how you describe it? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when I first had met them, and this doesn't apply to you, <laughs> this is when I was much younger. I was like, oh, so this person must be really into sex or something. <laughs> That's what I, what I thought. So I didn't know any better. Um, what are like some what are some like like misconceptions that you would love to clear up about what tantra is? Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd like to clear up, I guess, I mean, you know, that there are many different perspectives and people calling things Tantra that aren't actually Tantra. And there's nothing wrong with those practices either, I want to also say, like, you know, learning how to be more sexual, learning how to unlock certain aspects of sexuality with someone is, is something that I teach and I also would not call it tantra per se there is a school of tantra that many traditional tantrics call neo-tantra and neo-tantra is more of this um response in the 1960s to the feminist movement and to empowering women through their sexuality which really swung the pendulum in another direction of empowerment for women and um taking more kind of sovereignty with their bodies 
And there was a backlash to that, obviously, as well, um, you know, of, I think, anger and misplaced anger towards men. But that's a whole other topic. But you, Tantra is not sexualizing our wounds. Tantra is not polyamory. Tantra is not a hedonistic experience. And again, you can choose any of those things in your life, but calling them Tantra would be inaccurate. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, also Tantra is not this idea of the goddess energy and, and goddess energy is also something I think that's quite misunderstood in Tantra. Tantra is about worshiping goddess energy. And what is meant by that is that masculine energy, when it is not filtered through the lens of the feminine energy, is violence. And so when we can take masculine energy with the purpose of serving the feminine, meaning, um, and this is not in a patriarchal way, right? It's not in a worshiping of like you're beneath feminine. It's, um, it's passing it through this filter of, Am I taking action from a place of preserving what is right, what is beautiful, protecting the innocent, protecting nature, protecting the feminine so that life can continue to be born? It is a very uh, devotional practice of being pro-creation, yeah. pro-life. And I don't mean that from a yeah. fundamentalist point of view. Yeah. I mean that from um, a very primordial point of view of how... Um, our masculinity serves this planet in such a powerful way. And that's through the goddess energy. And the goddess energy isn't humanized. It's not this Instagram blogger on a rock in her bikini saying, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a goddess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you go goddess. Yeah. Like, sure. You know, but um, Tantra believes that men are goddesses and women hmm. just by the fact that we embody a physical form makes us goddess energy because goddess is everything that can be brought into material and the masculine is consciousness that holds that container for it to blossom mm. so yeah it would be interesting to see wars fought with a bunch of feminine energy it probably wouldn't happen <laughs> it wouldn't <laughs> so okay so we're emphasizing a slightly obviously you haven't spoken to all of it but um men can harness a feminine energy but then women can also harness a masculine energy. And so what is the duality to that, like in the role, in the role reversed? Well, I guess from the perspective of the way that I like to teach it, and that's, a, that's the only way I can, you know, and again, there's no wrong or right here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in the way that I teach it, um, oftentimes men and women have a very toxic relationship with our inner feminine and masculine. Um, because purified or really um, conscious feminine and masculine hasn't been modeled for us. So the way I teach it is to first um, get over our mother wounds and our father wounds and to look at how the masculine has been maybe toxic in our lives. And that happens for both men and women, mm -hmm. how the feminine has been toxic in our lives. And to start creating our own archetypal language and our own constitution um, with those polarities. So what is the feminine really in her purest form here to teach us? And how do we use our masculine to protect her in a benevolent way? And then when we have that kind of inner understanding within us, right? Um, you know, our feminine aspects want to, 
want to express our creativity in, in the world. Our feminine aspects want to dance and sing and express our bodies. Um, our feminine aspects want to receive. It's a receiving energy. Man, I'm so feminine, I'm realizing. You are. <laughs> yeah, I think I am. You are. But you also have a really incredible container that you create for your feminine, right? You create all these structures. You create a business. You created uh, homes, literally, foundations. You have the tools. You make yourself resourced, right? These are all masculine qualities. You commit to this vision. You commit to creating the structure. You're unwavering in your protection of it. And then your feminine can dance in the safety of that and be expressed even more. And that's that's that divine sacred union. I can't wait to dance in the house. Me too. <laughs> I love this house you're building. Me too. It's been a really fun project. And actually, Angel and I were talking about it recently. I'm like, it's, I've actually really just been enjoying the process of it. As much as it sounds like a lot of noise over there, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, just seeing the things come to life. Because of, every day I'm bringing things to life for other people. And so... To like be rewarded and bring it to, to life for yourself has been awesome. Um, so as far as like getting into Tantra for people, let's say, like if someone's listening to this and um, they're interested in just getting to know maybe you or what's like the what's the first step for somebody that they listen to this podcast? What would you say if you were a listener? What would you what would be your first step? Well, I think my first step would be just to like listen to your heart. You know, if this feels like something, you know, just because it's called Tantra and it has this maybe uh, context to you, you know, open yourself to understand that Tantra has informed most modern psychology. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't it's it's a much deeper way of um, doing some of the heavy lifting, which really is about letting go. So if you're ready to let go of some things in your life, like and be willing to be open to the way that you do that. Be, being willing also to be open to the simplicity of what this is because people think it's like really something complicated and then I'm like, you just need to like breathe. Right, yeah. Like we're going to breathe for the next 20 minutes. And they're like, okay, but when do we get to the Tantra? <laughs> and I'm like, and then that's when we know why they're there. Right, like this, this is the Tantra. This is it. Yeah, yeah. you know, so it's it's not as complicated as, as people think. Um but yeah, I think check in with yourself. Uh, is your heart open? Are you ready to maybe have some things challenged? And um, and then I would say from there, uh, it would be a great idea to like book a call with me, talk to me, um, or to take one of the programs that I have online coming up. I have a few things that I'm offering, which so it's a really exciting time for me and it's exciting time um, to work with me because uh, I'm launching so many great programs. Uh, the first one I have is a group coaching program online. And I, I work with men and women separately. I, I prefer to work with men and women separately in the beginning. So why do you do that? Like, why is it why is it separate to, to, to men and women? Because there's a lot of support and a lot of healing that can be initially done within our own brotherhood and sisterhood wounds. I have found in this work that um, a lot of the reason that many couples in their relationships um, come into disharmony or lack of polarity is because we are expecting that person to be everything. Right. And so when we can find, when men can find in particular brotherhood and women can find sisterhood, we can have a safe place 
to not burden our partners necessarily. Yeah. And we also create a trust and a foundation and maybe even a family that we never had. Mm-hmm. Um, and with men, there's such a deep brotherhood wound. I think so many men fe- totally. have felt right, really um, betrayed by other men. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of men are lone wolves trying yeah. to do everything, never admitting to other men that they're weak or that they perceived weak or that they need a little help or support that's so real that was me for so long it's such a big theme oh and once that that kind of perished a little bit and went away that was my life was forever changed because once you do feel a brotherhood i think that's why so many people are attracted to military or team sport and so on and that's like the that's like the golden egg that comes out of all of that but it's to have that camaraderie for men is so important. And it's very obvious when a man doesn't have it. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. I've gotten to the point now where it's like, I see a person like that. And even if it's not like my cup of tea human, I'm like, all right, come on in. Let's go. Like, <laughs> I know it. you do that. It's yes. like, uh, yeah. but it's, it's, it's really, it's a lot sometimes, but it's so important. I wish more people did that. And and I, sometimes I wish more people did that to me too, but it's like, everyone comes in and due process. Everyone's like, everyone comes in perfect time. It seems. So, yeah, I I think that's so real about, like, men, brotherhood. And I think for women, it is, it's the same but different, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just to add to what you said, I'm so happy you said that um, about brotherhood. So many men are so falsely initiated. Right. So if you look back in history, you know, going back to even our tribal times, men were initiated mm-hmm. into manhood by other men. Right. And... We have all of these false initiations like gangs, jail, the military, right. team sports that initiate men into this brotherhood of, you know, not respecting the feminine, not respecting each other, violence, status, you know, just all types of toxic traits that perpetuate this toxic ma- masculine ideal. Yeah. And... You know, when when men can go through um, a more authentic, loving initiation with other men and to be seen and to practice emotions, to practice feeling on a spectrum and a range of emotions that they were never allowed to be witnessed Mm -hmm. in mostly in their childhood. Be a, you know, boys don't cry. Be, Be a good boy. You know, toughen up. Get on your white horse and save the day. And just shut up about it, right? That's pretty good, no? <laughs> <laughs> and look, being dutiful is wonderful, right? No, right? Like, like we women are so, so grateful for that in, in men. Their right. ability to be put on that warrior armor and go out there. That is a huge skill for men. And we're not trying to take that away in any way. Um, however, that warrior needs to know when to take off his armor and to accept the nurturing of the feminine or to accept the nurturing of his brothers. I mean, real warriors stand around their brother while he cries and screams Mm -hmm. so that he can get back to war. Right. So creating that trust with men, women, like you said, yes, it's different. We have sisterhood wounds that are a little more, um, covert, um, and have to do a lot are are very rooted in our survival being pleasing being pretty enough being this enough um there being a sense of lack um i speak to asia ophelia who's a friend of mine and she has a company called the girlfriend manifesto and she's going to be uh, a co-teacher in my upcoming group program but she talks a lot about sisterhood and 
there really being this kind of primordial wound in all women because historically for us, we were sort of these cosmic, mystical um, secret keepers, these these keepers of mystery schools, and we would come together and share our knowledge, our recipes, how to take care of of the tribe, and we would come together and pray. And um, when kind of the witch hunting started to happen in you know early Christianity with the Gnostics and all throughout history, really this dismantling of matriarchal societies women were shamed and had to kind of fight against each other for survival. Um, there was a feeling of lack of, you're going to steal my man, you're going to steal my this, you're going to take my whatever, because for us to survive in community, we had to be pleasing and we had to be taken in by a tribe of strong men. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of wounds that we have to overcome. Yeah, so it's, it is. It's, it's similar but different. Yeah, it's... Uh... So what about the the other way, like men to women, like do as a man ever have like a sisterhood issue? So you know definitely, and um, so that's what I cover in my co-ed retreat. So I I like to work with men and women separately, and then bring them together in community in a live space to be with each other after having some of this foundational work. And so my group coaching online for men and women is happening November through early February. And then in mid-February for Valentine's week, I have a beautiful hearts immersive with men and women from the 9th of February to the 16th. And in that retreat, we have like this really powerful container for healing the masculine and feminine wounds and the way that we're pitted against each other and bringing more compassion to each other's experiences. Um, and also, you know, merging with more intimacy in that way, both in the brotherhood and sisterhood still, but then really also men with women and women with men. Yeah, because it's a lot of times you see, not a lot, but sometimes you see uh, there's a guy that only has girlfriends, mm. right? Or there's yes. a girl that's like only has guy friends. Yes. And in the communities, it's always joked about. It's like, oh, she's got all the guy friends. Ah. So what do you think that like stems from like for guy to girl and girl, girl to guy? Well, it's usually our wounds. Hmm. It's um, oftentimes a mother wound that will keep us... um, On on both sides? Yes. I mean, we all have these wounds. At least I believe we do. Um, Even if we have the greatest parents ever, um, just by the mere fact that we have to eventually leave the protection, the love, that first love with our mother um, and go out into the world and separate ourselves from her and what that does to her and that, what that might do to us and the reaction within that dynamic. Um, women who have only male friends, it's typically, they can't trust the feminine. Um, and that the feminine, um, has betrayed them in some way and the masculine feels more safe. It feels more direct. It feels more clear. Um, and with men, typically, if they're only with feminine, it's because they have some energetic um, marriage to their mother. And it's an unhealthy one, and they don't trust men, um, which is also a father wound. But the father wound really perpetuates the mother wound because often the mother takes on both roles. And with men, they really need male um, examples. And models of how to be masculine. And so if a man doesn't experience a proper initiation with his father, if he doesn't see how his father reacts to anger, to love, to running a business, to 
expressing himself in the world, then he takes on his mother's emotionality rather than having the um, power to create his own inner feminine. He takes on his mother's wounded inner feminine as his uh, emotional landscape. Mm. And it's not his. And what he does is he starts uh, competing with women often in his life or extracting from women or only trusting women um, because at least he kind of knows that and, and he can kind of he, he's kind of a wounded emotional woman so he feels like women can take all of that part of himself mm. um, so when he starts to heal these other wounds he can feel a range of emotions not feel that the woman is there to extract from for his emotional needs but that he can maintain his own emotional needs and hold space for women's emotional needs also I wonder if this is where uh, this, this aligns with Dan Bilzerian Mm. You know this guy, Mm-mm. the Instagram personality. He's like always got all the girls with him, and he's on jets with them, and he's like this, this whole brand is like him and ten to fifteen girls always. Right. I wonder if he be interesting to get him into a session. And try <laughs> <a little> bit. <laughs> so you're starting, uh, or you have already started a summit. What What is a summit, by the way? So a summit um, is an online event, essentially, um, and there's. Tons of different types of summits. You can take a crypto summit. You can take mm-hmm. a business building summit. But why, why do they call it a summit? It's not really sure. I think it's just, um, I guess, a way of saying like this is uh, an event that brings a lot of different thought leaders together. Typically, all, so all to a peak, maybe all to a peak. Yeah. Of of, of the summit. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, here are the different pathways to get to the top. Right. Because I mean, that is essentially what people are kind of experiencing, at least in my summit. Right. You know, it's so many different thought leaders. You know, we have people who are like, you know, mystical crystal healers and people who are neuroscientists, um, all converging on this one topic of radically honest love. And, and, that's, and that's the name of it. Yes. So that's interesting because, yeah, a bunch of different people are all kind of converging, like you say, to one. And is it all the kind of the same common interest or like, do you find like a common duality between everybody where it's like you have a neuroscientist, you have a math teacher, you have this person. Is everybody kind of coming from the same place? Um, you know, ultimately, that's where we're arriving at. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know what would happen. All I all I felt was honestly... Um, a personal liking for the messages of each of these people. And I liked their products. I liked their positions. Some of them have been my clients. Some of them I've worked with them. And I feel like in this world of self-inquiry, there are so many ways to get to the top of that mountain. And there are so many people that we need to rely on. And so as teachers, we all have to stay as students. And so I'm an eternal student. And so for me, it was people that I like to learn from. I like their voice. And what I've ultimately come to experience is that they're all saying very similar things. And so you have to watch the summit to see what that is. But um, I'll say that, you know, a, a grand theme is just that we have a lot more power than we realize. It's all inside of us. And we are each here to give a very unique gift to the world. And it comes from being authentically who you are, not who the world tells you to be. Right. And it's getting proven over and over again, you know, not only with just seeing and looking at people, you know, doing such great things in the world when they follow their hearts, but also through the science of measuring how our brains can actually change um, and everything in between. So um, 
You'll have to check it out to see for yourself all of the different thought leaders and perspectives. But it's my belief and it is the belief of Tantra that we are all unique and we there we are miracles. Yeah. And there is literally no one else in the world that has ever come before you, will ever be after you, who has what you have to give this, to this world. And so when we can empower ourselves to figure out what that is and to give it to the world, um, even when it doesn't feel like it's perfect, we will find the tribe that is meant to be around us. We will be in collaboration with the universe to attract that frequency to us. And we can be completely the creators of our own reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like you say, it's like, there's, there's no one that can be like us before or after. It's like, but it's like, then you take someone like Elvis and there's so many impersonations. With them. <laughs> but every time you see him up there, you're like, that's not really Elvis. It's like, it's close, but it's just not quite. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's it's interesting. Like I don't really know how to phrase this. Um, so going back to like, is there a way that you bring this all back to the ad world again? Let's say, mm. um, because <clears throat> there's so many creatives that maybe start out in their very authentic way, but then the corporate sense and maybe a narrative and maybe a position on social issues changes everything and mm. then the the craft becomes different mm. so does this in your like where is this going does this one day go back to like full circle for you to where you kind of come back into that with new tools and mm. that's such a great question thank you for asking that um because i think through doing this summit i've really realized that um i've always kind of known how powerful media is right media is like it's goes right into our subconscious and it can really shape our minds. It can shape us to buy things we didn't think we needed. Mm -hmm. It can shape us to take so much action and it's so pervasive in the subconscious. And so for me, you know, um, I feel very called to, through having done this summit and through a lot of ideas that I've had um, to create a media brand and to bring people with this conscious uh, perspective to more people because often we can feel really alone on this path and like I'm a weirdo I think that there's something wrong with the world and I don't fit in here mm -hmm. um, and what a great way to expand consciousness uplift humanity and also help people to feel like they're not alone and that there's some place to go to express all of these things that you want to try out in the world that there'll be a place where you can be supported and so that was really my kind of intention was to first like reach out to people who I kind of needed support from, to be honest. In the beginning of the summit, I was going through a very heartbreaking time in my life. And I just wanted to talk to people who could make me feel like I was sane again, you know, who I knew that my practices and I knew that my point of view was true to who I am, but there are still some things that I'm healing. And, and that's the thing about teachers. We're all still healing stuff. It's yeah. not, it doesn't just end. And so when we can create like a space, and I think that's really what I feel called to do, where people can come for healing and where there's a round table where no one's sitting at the head as the master guru. Right. I mean, the biggest thing my teacher taught me was your, your guru, like, don't rely on me. I'm not here for you. Like, I can get you to a certain point, but like, I'm not your father. I'm not this benevolent being who's going to just like, you know, baby you. Right. You've got to go and do it for yourself. And so I think empowering people and, and doing it through the media is a very powerful thing. Hmm. Yeah, because I can see it being very useful. It's like right now there's so much emphasis and people in the corporate structure bringing in people like Navy SEALs to talk about 
you know, their ways of practice and discipline and apply it to the corporate world. And, and I think that's great and all, but I, I've always, you know, thought it was curious, like, for example, out here, and it was, it was kind of funny, but also I, I got where they were coming from, but they brought in, I went to this like a uh, business gathering, if you will, of, like all these different professionals. And they brought in this, this Indian guy and he was kind of like talking about, you know, the way of light. And it was like very kind of common sense for me, for everyone else. They're like, oh, wow, I've never thought of it this way. Yeah. But it was really funny to see like people are so desperate to bring in a different aspect to help like invest in people and get people to see how they can invest in themselves. In some subset, it seems like a combination of all is good. But does it exist to have like in the corporate world where there's like a Tantra teacher comes into uh you know the employees of walmart or the ceos of walmart but <laughs> i'm just random company but sure you can imagine that that's probably not on the most up and up like they probably in some sense they like the fact that the people are kind of just diligently stuck in that vortex of hell so do you see that like ever like happening like do you see it being that way or does that exist you know i i think i think that it's it's twofold and maybe even more complicated than that. But I think that in the corporate world, um, there is a bit of a, and in the world in general right now, right? There's like this fashionable thing of like, we do this, but we meditate. Yeah. We're out of integrity here, but we're doing yoga. But like, that's, that's always been, right? For and, people are always like, well, I'm a Christian, but yes. not tonight. And there is hypocrisy in, in self-development. Right. For you know, sure. and I'm I'm not here to shame anything or sh anyone. Like there's so much hypocrisy. One day I can be feeling one one thing, and then all of a sudden realize, oh wow, that was really kind of not the truth I thought. And that's the whole point, right? Like to question our narratives, to question like our integrity, to question the truth. And the truth will always be love. Yeah. The truth will always be, is this love? And it sounds so corny to say, but it's so stupidly true. You know, it's like, <laughs> ugh, I hate to even say that, but I like, I find myself actually saying it in real conversations to other men and they're like, dude, bro, take it easy. I'm like, no, I'm dead serious. Unfortunately, I'm serious. I'm like, it, love Fortunately, is like the whole thing. Love is the whole thing. Yeah. And we, and it's been just like the feminine perceived as weak pushed down and it is honestly the most powerful force which is so weird that it's perceived as weak because it's actually so hard to do to actually genuinely truly love and do things out of love it's like it doesn't come easy no yeah you sure you can say it you know but it's not to actually act in it and like do things out of love like let's just say let's just say your passion for example like people oftentimes ask me like why do you still ride motorcycles or why do you it's, it's caused you so much pain and I'm like, well, that's basically love in itself, isn't mm -hmm. it? You know, but realistically, it's like a passion. It's a deep burning desire to like to do that. And mm. I don't think I'll ever stop. But it's like, how do you apply that to everything else in life? You know, to where everything you do is out of love, like where you do the thing that you do, that, the thing that you do that you love the most. How do you apply that and make it applicable to all of life? I think it's a real trick and dance. But um, but yeah, it's like you said, it's like everything is just we're constantly learning one day. I have an idea about something and I'm like, oh, that's what I think. And then like not long after, I'm like, do I even think that? Yeah. And where, who, what are our, our ideas anyway? It's like, they're not even really ours. It's kind of strange, right? It's everything. I mean, what you just said is so powerful. It's so powerful because firstly, in order to feel love, we have to be willing to feel everything that isn't and to be mm -hmm. honest about that with yeah. ourselves. You know, we need to be able to say, 
oh, that thought was really not who I am. I've where so many where did I get that, right? Like yeah. we, we have them every day. Yeah, literally. I'm reflecting every day. I'm like, oh, what an idiot. I can't <laughs> believe I said that. Well, don't say you're an idiot. Well, it's probably true. <laughs> Be proud of yourself for doing that. For reflecting on it. Yeah. I mean, it takes so much awareness. And that's really what this all is, is consciousness, right? Like when we're aware of things that aren't serving us, we have the power to change them. Right. When we're operating from addictions, habits, wounded child, trying to acquire something to cover up the thing that we think is so bad about us, yeah. that's when we're out of control. That's when we're pushing people away. That's when we're blocking all of the gifts that are trying to get to us. Yeah, totally. When you can kind of surrender and see the power of what surrender means it's the most powerful thing you can do for yourself it's an act of love the most powerful thing and you can look and say you know like what was going on with me with that person today where i felt like i needed to like show off like that or whatever yeah. you did that you're like eh, cringe and you're like oh well you know like I really admire that person and I feel like maybe they don't like me or mm -hmm. maybe like I have to be more for them to like me. I feel like you saw me the other day. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I did all that actually. Yeah, and we always we all do that, you know, yeah. like it's it's not a matter of fixing ourselves. This work doesn't fix us because guess what? We're not broken. Right. We're just like having a human experience with all the fluctuations of it. And the more we can stop identifying so much with this body and with our status and with our image and with our house or our career, whatever the facade is that we're putting out in the world and to just um, love it. And it doesn't mean we don't, we don't love it or cherish it or are grateful for the things we acquire either. But the more we can be so, so much more loosely attached to it, the more we give others permission to do that. Right. And we live in a world that's a lot more honest, a lot more fun, a lot more playful, um, and we stop taking ourselves and our, what I call our special pain so seriously and stop thinking that we're so separate from everything. And this is where non-duality comes in. This is where oneness consciousness comes in. Everyone is a mirror. Everyone right, is yeah. the same. Everyone is going through the same thing. And um, there is no pain that is more special or more um, painful than another. And that's kind of can be a hard reality for people because you know people will say like well what about the person who has no money and they're starving and they don't even know where the next meal comes from and you know compare that to someone in the hamptons who has like this great house and this great life but like every woman he dates is using him for his money and he feels utterly alone well you know maybe that man who doesn't know where his next meal comes from but has the joy of his community and his family and and like is uplifted and is dancing and he's doing his art yeah, he has that pain of his 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 some of his needs not being being met. But this man who has everything still can't find happiness or feel accepted or loved. So it gives you a bigger compassion, a bigger sense of compassion that we're all doing the best with the path that we have. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a little bit of a difference sometimes. Mm. You know, like I think there is some scale of. Some, some people have it worse. You know, you meet some of these people sometimes and you're like, what the fuck? Like, how how did this all happen to you? Like, and it doesn't seem yeah. fair. No. I've You know, I've met a, a kid when I was 15 years old. His mom died. His dad died. 
Then his brother died, all within a four-year span. These are not things that he did or brought to the world or he manifested, right? And then he just disappeared for a while and was homeless. And we all saw him again maybe when we were like in our 20s, maybe. Something like that. And then never saw him again. I don't know if he died or if he found another way of life or, you know, but like what are the chances of him finding, you know, like this information, let's say, versus the guy that does live in the Hamptons that maybe, you know, has a red Ferrari that he leaves in first gear all the time and, you know, has the house and has the show-offy life and the watch and the accessories, you know, it there. I think that in extreme scale, there is somewhat of a difference, no? It's a big debate. Yeah. It's a big debate, but from the perspective that I see things, and this is without wanting to in any way bypass or have no compassion for what people are going through. Right. But we just don't know really what the soul's journey is and what someone has come here to learn and what and how they need to learn that. But what is so so that's I think about that. Like what was his and obviously we don't know. We're we're all scratching our head on what our own experience is for. Why do I need sure. to learn that today? Um but what the hell? What is that guy that lost everything before his life even really began? I mean, I guess if he makes it through that, he's gonna, you know, have a great motivational book and a life of all the things he probably never wanted anyway. Imagine the amount of people he can help with the shift of his perspective on that reality. Mm -hmm. That's really what this work is about. It's not trying to, and it may sound like it, you know, but it's not trying to force positivity into something, but it is to say you have such infinite opportunity on this planet just by inhabiting this body and it is excruciatingly painful to be here in this body for everyone and some of us get an easier life for sure Mm -hmm. you know um however what we do with the things that are presented can make a huge difference to the entire world and to our own lives yeah um but it does take perspective it takes uh, an inspiration, sometimes a mentor, sometimes a brotherhood. Um, but we all have the equal power to get there if we're willing to. I guess it's, yeah, so I guess it's kind of like an extreme accountability thing. It's like if I had maybe information at that time of being 15, I could have accepted that guy into the brotherhood. Versus that kid was kind of almost, he became lone wolf and everyone kind of ousted him. Mm. So maybe it's it's communal, uh, it's communal fault as well a little bit like the people that were around him. Like if we yeah. were able to spread that message and you knew this at like a young age when you're 15, everyone's still kind of cruel. Totally, and you know, Brett, you can't. You're so loving, just like your last name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no choice. Thank really? God it was loving. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful for it. Um, you know, but he. The thing with life that's sometimes really hard to, you know, still, even for me, I know it intellectually, I know it spiritually, um, but we get really exactly what we're supposed to get. What what happens was what was supposed to happen. Yeah, it sucks for him. It's perfect, but yeah. you haven't seen him. It may not have. It You know, we don't know. Maybe he has a red Ferrari in the Hamptons now. Maybe he's in first gear. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who the hell is that? I'm like, 
Holy smokes. There he is. Let's hope so. You know, yeah. and I'm hoping he's enjoying it. Um, and the good news is, like, we get to do it a lot of times, at least from the tantric perspective. We live many lifetimes. We are infinite beings. And we come here to learn lessons, to teach lessons, to uplift consciousness for creating greater worlds. And we have that um, power and it's a lot of fun. And also we have to live this life as though it's our last. Right. And we can, um, when we look for those tools, we can really um, amplify our existence very quickly uh, when we live from the heart space and when we really reach out for those things that are speaking to our heart. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So let's say, like, so what happens like at a, at a retreat or like a physical one mm -hmm. like, so obviously you have the zoom one you have like a you know digital face-to-face -face. but yeah. like what happens at like a, a a physical retreat like when you show up you're brand new you start breathing like <laughs> take me through like what, what yeah. happens well i work with people in all of my programs um in four phases so every uh journey that we go through together happens in four phases the first phase is the physical. So we tap into the physical body because trauma is held in the physical body. Uh, I am a trauma-informed practitioner. So um, I know how to work with people in a safe way that when things are coming up, um, that we can diffuse it and not re-traumatize them in that experience. And that's really important. So I want to just say for anyone who's working in this type of work, you should really make sure that the people around you, whether you're doing plant medicine or you're doing uh, a yoga retreat, uh, anything that's re requiring some deep work, you want trauma-informed practitioners to be there to hold that space that's safe for you and that's uh, a healing container. Um, so the first thing is we'll go into the physical body because the trauma is stored in the body and these yogic sciences have such beautiful, gentle ways of going into that uh, those spaces and releasing them through asana, releasing them through kriyas, releasing them through breath work, releasing them through mantras and rituals. Um, so what we're doing is we're building a trust with our body. So when we start to relax at that deep of a level and with our body, exploring our body, meditating inwardly on our physicality, on our energetic body, we begin to build so much trust that the subconscious starts to come to the surface. The subconscious starts to tell us, oh, hey, remember that like fight you had when you were 13? that's in your shoulder still. And you're like, I totally forgot about that fight I had when I was 13. Like, And so this is the way of seeing that our bodies are starting to trust us to give us the information that lies inside of it. Because in, in talk therapy, we can go into our story, right? Oh, you know, this happened to me or that happened to me. And we'll go over and over and over. And, and um, the place in our brain that stores memories is actually the same place that stores and that creates fantasies. So oftentimes, the more and more we talk about something that happened to us, the more and more we're actually creating a false narrative about what mm. that thing was yeah. and um, how it happened. And that's why you'll see two siblings that were in the same situation with their parents. And they're like, no, that never happened. And like the other one's like, yes, it did. And then they're kind of like, I was there. And, you know, totally. right. So we want to go into the body because that can't lie. And 
that is where we actually can move forward from the trauma. Talk therapy is great if you're just like wanting to get things off your chest and it can be helpful for some people to just orient and even make real what had happened to them. But to really move into the healing, we have to go into the body. So that's the first phase. We go into the physical body. Then we go into the emotional body. We start to release. Releasing through the breath, releasing through different exercises um, and doing our shadow work. So shadow is basically all of the things that we reject, deny, um, and um, basically uh, disassociate from um, and, you know, want to be known. The things that bring us the most shame is our shadow, the thing that we try to cover up about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we'll go into doing a lot of shadow work. We'll do a lot of emotional release around our shadows. Uh, we'll ha- also have fun with the shadow, um, doing some, you know, theatrical stuff, naming our shadow, different personalities of ourselves, uh, working with the archetypes so that we can get an emotional handle on why we have certain behavioral patterns um, based on our emotionality. And then the third phase is the spirituality part, um, the spiritual body, um, really starting to change our frequency, shift and invite a new energetic self into being, into radiating in the world. Um, We do that through dance, through expression, through sharing, through partnered mirrored work. um, And we do different rituals. I have a Tibetan ritual, Tibetan Buddhist ritual that we do in in all of my retreats. Um, And that's going to help us get into more of a spiritual identity of understanding what love really is. Because love isn't always so... um, soft and soothing sometimes love is fierce and cutting i think often often yes i think for some only that and when it's only that then we have to see how much of that is really love but (laughs) um, we don't want to stay in that forever right and we don't we don't in in the retreats or in the work that we do together and then we move into the sexuality aspect learning how to use a very clear channel after purifying our bodies after purifying our emotional states, after letting go of some traumas and clearing space literally in the body, um, we bring in some of these sexual aspects where we're uh, circulating sexual energy, transforming it from this sometimes distorted or just sometimes just in everyone very heavy energy that wants to be released and we start bringing it back into the body and circulating it with ourselves and with our partners and this is particularly important for men um and so those are the the four stages of everything and and in our retreats we'll do that in a safe container with other people through yoga meditation breath work partnered exercises lots and lots of sharing we play a lot of games um uh, sharing games where you can kind of see how other people are reacting to things and feel like, oh, I do that too. And yeah. um, so it's, there's a lot of that kind of mirroring work. Um, and we have a lot of ceremonies with fires and drums and music and dancing, um, singing. It, it's it's very powerful. And, um, and it's really, really bonding. The people who come to the live retreats um, get very close. Yeah, I can imagine. So, and then there's a fourth? The, the fourth was the sexual oh, energy. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a physical, emotional, uh, spiritual, sexual. Okay. Um, you, have a, you have a retreat coming up in Costa Rica? Yes. 
Is that Valentine's Day? Yes. Oh, it is? Yes. So where is that in Costa Rica? It's in Nosara, Costa Rica. It's at a resort called Tierra Encantada. It's a beautiful eco-resort that was built by a wonderful, wonderfully conscious couple. Um, all of the all of the spaces in the casitas are built from wood by hand. They're absolutely exquisite. Um, there's a gorgeous shala. There's a beautiful teepee, huge teepee that we'll be also using for ceremony. Um, and uh, three meals a day. Um, it's just a gorgeous view. It's just spectacular pool, the whole thing. Um, so that's, yeah. and it's from uh, the 9th to the 16th. Okay, of, cool. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's a perfect amount of time to be in Costa Rica. Mm. So do you, when people show up, they, they start the course and then they obviously have free time yes. throughout it to go explore. And yes. You have maybe activities for them and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What about here in the Hamptons? You have anything going on here? Not at the moment. Um, people can reach out to me to work privately. I'm happy to work with singles and couples. Um, people are often like, I don't have a partner. And if I'm honest, um, because of the nature of this work, it's I even when I work with couples, I separate them right. uh, to work individually because it is a process with you and yourself before it can be with anyone else. So whether you have a partner or not, this work is incredibly healing. So it, you're kind of doing... If you're doing Zoom, even let's say you're kind of almost doing therapy. Like it's it, therapeutic, yes. It's yes, therapeutic. Yes. But, I mean, it just it seems like a, a very a much more immersive experience versus just going and having somebody listen to you. Definitely. I mean, you know, I think a thing that um, that confuses me sometimes is we see a lot of thought leaders and social media people who have sold tons of books, and they're like, you know, you are attached to a story that you're not good enough. And that's the reason you feel so bad. And all of us are attached to these stories that were too much or that were not good enough. And all of that's true. And, you know, you'll see like 200,000 people liking it because right. everyone knows that that's true. Yeah, right. But then it's like, well, what do I do about it? Yeah. How do I get over that? And so these practices push you out of that. And when consistently practiced... Um, will move you into different, completely different planes of consciousness and existence. I have people who work with me who within three weeks get promoted in their job or um, find a new partner, hmm. find their partner, uh, end their pornography addiction because it shifts the consciousness very quickly. And that's the thing about Tantra. Yeah. Um, and I think the Dalai Lama has a, a quote that talks about being on the sutra path being on like more of like a a slow steady you know buddhist path um is great for some people but what tantrics are interested in give is in giving people compassion quickly yeah and a lot of um and i'm very loosely kind of uh, translating his quote but it's you know and, and a lot of um a lot of people with deviant um mindsets are attracted to tantra but Tantra is not for deviants. Right. It is for very pure-minded people who want to help others find compassion and uplift themselves very quickly. I think that's probably the biggest misconception. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's huge. Um, so assuming somebody joins your, your retreat mm. and then one day becomes someone like, like in your shoes, mm. you know, how, do, how does that person and how do you, for example cleanse yourself from all this exposure of people bringing things to you and being mm. a part of this this must be 
that's sometimes very heavy. It is. Um, holding this type of space has been a really big learning experience for me. I love, love doing it. I'm really quite good at it. Um, and I also need a lot of support around it. So I've been getting more of that support, but I do a lot of protection work beforehand. Um, and, um, the more I do that, the more I actually can see the energy that's coming from people very clearly, almost psychically, which is something I didn't really um, acknowledge until recently. Um, but then I can see that it's not part of me, that we're just holding a space for it. And that's what healers do, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm not healing anyone. You're, I'm holding space for you to heal. I'm creating the conditions right. where you can unlock whatever's happening and release it in the space safely. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, I just, I, I need the right support team around me and I have some really great people who support me. I need to make sure that I'm eating correctly, that I'm doing all of my preparatory practices every day and, and strengthening my own nervous system, because that's essentially what we're doing. We're, we're strengthening our nervous systems and to hold the full capacity of the power of creation that we have within our bodies. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're strengthening our nervous system so that we can hold more love. And that love comes through orgasmic experiences. That love comes through being able to check ourselves before we say something that is out of alignment, um, removing ourselves from situations, taking opportunities to create, having inspiration flow through us so that we can create in the world. All of this requires a very strong nervous system. And so Tantra teachers who don't prepare with this purification process, it's like playing with fire. Yeah. Because that energy is so powerful. The energy of pure love surging through your body, kundalini energy coming through your spine and opening, awakening your channels to a higher level of consciousness. Powerful stuff. Do you actually feel something? Yes. Coming up your spine? Yes. Really? Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Feeling everything is very powerful. And so we gently take people through that process so that it's not like turning on the lights in an old abandoned barn that hasn't had electricity in it for 30 years. (laughs) Right? You're going to set that thing on fire if it's not done slowly, gently. And so that's what we do. And that's the nervous system. That's where this all comes into play. These aren't woo-woo practices. They're thousands of years old and they're based in science. And most science doesn't talk about um, the Vedic sciences um, because it seems too woo-woo. And I have my own opinions about also why that is. Um, But, you know, these practices, these ancient practices are rooted in a lot of divine intelligence. And um, neuroscience is starting to prove those things. But they change the pathways in your brain. They regulate your nervous system so that you can hold the full capacity of your power. And part of that power is our erotic intelligence. And I talk a lot about erotic intelligence because that's another word that's really taboo. Erotic or triple X. Oh my goodness, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, right? And like erotic is the source of our innocence. It's our impulse that we had as children that we weren't afraid of because we didn't sexualize it. Um, But then all of a sudden, when we start to sexualize things, they become distorted. And the external world distorts that, distorts that yearning for another person or feeling those feelings of pleasure. We start to feel a lot of shame around that. And that's another aspect of what can hold us back from really bringing our power into the world and really connecting with the people who are our romantic our romantic partner and using sexuality 
to bring more creative energy, bring more abundance into our lives and, and expansion um, is taking the shame away from those desires and to start to um, be able to truthfully hold those desires and make them serve us instead of us being slaves to them. Right. Because ultimately Tantra is a practice of self-liberation away from all of the things that enslave us. And our desires are one of those things. Yeah. No, I think that's really powerful. I mean, it's interesting to, to think about, um, you know, I know some people that they're kind of almost like, the reason I, I well, let me just backtrack, the reason I asked you about how you kind of deal with, you know, the energy that you, you know, embark upon. It's like people, what, what people bring to you, if you will. You see so many people that, uh, like let's just say even during the day, people are like, oh, did you see this on the news? And oh, it's so tragic, and, and it is. I'm not diminishing things that mm. happen, right? There's yeah. terrible things that happen in the world. Yeah. But you see it, like they almost take it in, mm -hmm. and like, their day is shifted from it. Um, and I think it's so interesting to think about that, you know, just psychologically, there's there's definitely seems to be a type of person that is more prone to just taking on the news, and it affects their, mm -hmm. their anxiety and their emotions, and it's, and I see it quite often, you know, and it obviously... The current state of the world right now is is tense, I mm. would say. And this is probably one of the first times that I've actually felt a little bit of tension mm. from the world. Yeah. Generally, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is going on and I'm kind of in my lane. I'm not dismissing things, but it's just, you know, I'm, I don't know how to put it, but I'm not necessarily completely affected by everything that goes on. Um, and maybe I should be on some other level, but I felt good up until this point. Uh, but recently, obviously, I've been like listening to things, people talking about like nuclear war yeah. and all these things that like seem plausible a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I've been seeing people very affected by it. You mm -hmm. know, like um, when I meet on a job site with other business owners and they start talking about it, they're just like, this is it. It's here. And it's I'm like, holy shit. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know anything at the end of the day, but it's it's yeah. interesting to hear how someone like yourself may deal with, you know, ridding yourself or preparing yourself for some of those things because maybe those practices for people that might be listening to this maybe you're saying that's me like i something happens like you know i had a, an employee for example just to kind of make it clear because i know i'm making it very cloudy but i had an employee that came to work and he was all bummed out he's like oh well i saw this accident this morning and i said okay and he's like he's like yeah it was just i just it just ruined my whole day and i said okay i'm like well, well what happened he's like like did someone die or something he's like no it's just you know it's just yeah, the guy was, you know, this full grown man, he was like crying and, and I could just tell like, you know, he didn't know where he was and it's just, it just ruined my whole day. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really think anything of it. Well, then the next day I, he had he kind of had like a little bit of like an attitude. So I was like, oh, what's, what's going on? I'm like, Hey, everything cool. He's like, I'm just, you know, yesterday that was, it was really like affected my, affected me. Like it was just, it was a lot to see. And I was like, okay, like I understand yeah. that. Like I get it. But like, what do you suggest? I mean, obviously you would suggest they come and take a class and go to the treat, right? <laughs> but like, what do you think about about that? Like, is there some sort of correlation where maybe you start doing Tantra and like you start becoming more aware and have more like uh, freedom of or um, not control? Maybe maybe you have control of your emotions a little bit differently, right? You're not ruled by your your emotions so much. And I know maybe this is a really bad example, but I do. It's kind of a 
a broad example to kind of say like a lot of people are very controlled and enslaved to their emotions Mm -hmm. and not that there's something wrong with seeing an accident and and feeling pain and sympathy and empathizing to that person that's i think that's totally normal i think it'd be a little bit sociopathic to not but how do you like for example i don't think that person was the one that was able to be on the scene and not go holy shit you're gushing out of your head like we you know what i mean you have to kind of yeah you know first responders they're not they have to be sure in control of their thing and i think a lot of people like those types of people would be very beneficial to have like a, a practice that they do to go to work sure. and do what they do every day and um and to make sure that they're not having all those arrows stuck in them when they come home and they just come through the door 15 arrows stuck in them like holy shit i just saw the world collapse yeah so i don't know maybe you could speak on that a little bit yeah i mean i thank you i there's a lot of there's a lot of reactivity um in the world that that comes very automatic because we've been so conditioned to um firstly you know uh respond in ways that are going to keep us belonging in society and not rejected from people so you know often we have a certain kind of textbook reaction to things that is appropriate but maybe that's not really how we're feeling inside and oftentimes when we haven't really like when we haven't really healed some of these things when a person just feels not heard, not seen, not able to express emotions, they'll take something that they see in the media that is appropriate thing to talk about or what they saw when they came to work or something that happened or is happening. And what they often do and what we've all done is you take that opportunity to say, um, will you see me? Will you hold me? Will you comfort me? Because I don't know how to do that for myself. And we project that into the world and it's the number one way that we push people away. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we have a million strategies of how to do that. Right? Will you love me? Will you please like hear this story and feel something to give me something I can't give myself? Mm-hmm. And until we learn how to give that to ourselves you know not looking for the world to parent us we will allow people who don't have the authority to parent us mm-hmm. who shouldn't be telling us what to feel and think well technically be- it should just be yourself yeah I, I mean i don't i don't love saying the word should but well, we are our most empowered when we are able to comfort ourselves able to be conscious of what it is that we need and able to ask for what we need. Right. And, you know, guaranteed if this person who works for you came to you and said, I just saw something. My body's feeling really shaken up. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm feeling emotional. Mm -hmm. I can't focus. Can I take... 20 minutes to just go breathe somewhere i know what i need i need to just go do some breath work you know or if if you know even you could say hey hey man do you want to do some breath work bring him aside 
do a little breathing. How are you feeling? Maybe that would feel like so much compassion to him. Thank you. You know, but when we don't know how to deal with our own anxiety, with other people's anxiety, when we don't even have the tools to give compassion um, or to ask for compassion, then, you know, it, it becomes this perpetual thing of the outside world affects my internal world. And, you know, the same is true. The outside world is my authority, not me. The news tells me what I need to believe and think and what reality is. Oh, I don't tell yeah. myself what reality is. Yeah. My boss tells me what if I'm good enough and if I'm valuable enough. I don't. And the list goes on and on and on, right? My wife, my whatever it is, we're constantly then giving our power away because we don't know what we need. We don't know ourselves and we don't know what to ask for. And that's the biggest, biggest, most important thing we can do, in my opinion, in life is to know ourselves yeah no i i agree it's i can imagine it, it, i'm just envisioning myself in the construction world asking a man to do breath work on the side i mean i think in i but why not change that world right I mean, totally right I, totally it seems like every world i embark upon it just seems like the impossible when i first start sure right and then but i mean for you too that's so i mean going to the ad world to try to because in the ad world, there's a programming that that starts within, mm -hmm. and then it goes out. That's why it's called reg now back to your regular programming. It's yeah. like, and people are still not aware that they're being programmed like computers. We are the like the little, you know, old school Apple computers, yes. like the colorful ones. You know? <laughs> we're all a little bit different colors, but we're, like, we're still being programmed. We're being downloaded information. Every time you turn on your big flat box on the t on the wall, um, yeah. and it's like it's it's in everything now. It's like you know it's even in in YouTube and you watch YouTube now. It's like the other day we we saw an ad on YouTube because you get you can't not have ads on YouTube. So they get you with these ads, but it's like they're all targeted to you and it's all these. It's just so infiltrated. So for you, it's gonna be very difficult to then even bring that back to it and then try to infiltrate from within to say, hey, how do we get these people empowered in themselves? And mm -hmm. then, but the powers that be, if you will, whoever they are, are kind of like, well, no, we like the substructure of how it works and how it is because this is what works for us and this is what lines our pockets. Is sure. having these, you know, these people that don't think for themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of work for you to do. Yeah, and 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 it's also a huge need out there. Well, there I, I you know, agree. and we have thousands of people signed up for this summit. Um, really? Yes. And so how do, how do people watch the summit? They can watch it by going to radicallyhonestlove.com, signing up, and tuning in. And they can also uh, buy the replays if they haven't gotten a chance to see the whole thing. We're on to day seven now, uh, and it's an 11-day summit. And I'm so grateful to Adrienne Grenier, uh, the actor, um, who really shared his story of leaving that traditional kind of world of basically creating one of the most narcissistic characters to ever exist really on TV for um, how many years Entourage was on and how many toxic examples of masculinity were celebrated on that show. And not to badmouth the entertainment value of that show because I love watching TV and right, I love yeah. watching extreme characters. Sure, yeah. But the thing that we do in our society is that we make them heroes. Yeah. And we emulate them instead of seeing the tragicness of what's going on because those that tragedy is hidden behind their Porsche and their 
sexy girlfriend and their great job and their ability to seemingly do and get and be whoever they want whenever they want. And we, as Adrian will, says in our interview, we make these people the, the kings and queens of culture, famous people, yeah, that is. So weird. But not really. You know, it's, it's gone on for a long time. And, um, but not that long in the history of the world. True. Yes. It's pretty brand new, actually. At this capacity, at this level, especially, yeah. right? And so and then we see shows like Sex and the City that also I love that show. Yeah. And then it's got so many quirky archetypes and funny things that are that translate to me as a woman who's from New York. However, these are women who kind of are a bit tragic, yeah. right? Like, where are they going with their lives? They're <laughs> yeah, so, like totally. really superficial and like, you know, I'm sorry, but the amount of shoes you have is not going to determine the like value of the husband you get or like the committed guy in your life that's gonna like really love you and um but we're fed all these things i think um (laughs) i think seinfeld's another example of that show of of that thing um you know where it's like you've got these neurotic crazy people who are all psychopathic narcissists (laughs) and don't care and they're hilarious right like but you see people who take on Larry David's personality and think it's charming and funny. It's charming and funny on the TV show because comedy is tragedy. Yeah. But to be that person in the world totally. because you think being neurotic is quirky and cute and and fashionable because it's on TV right now and people think it's funny. Um yeah, you know, um That's so funny. It's pervasive. Well, it's like and I've I've gone back and forth with thinking if it was built by design this way, you know, it's like it seems as such, but also I think it is a, a it's the people, of, it's like, it's kind of like, it goes hand in hand. Cause like when we're talking about like algorithms and how they build some of these different AIs, it is ultimately giving you what you're asking for. Yes. Right. So you're asking whatever your Instagram feed looks yes. like or whatever ads you're getting, it is built to be more convenient to you, to yes. give you what you're actually already asking. So in some sense, the people were asking for this. So, and it, it is, it's, you know, this whole, this whole way of how the world has been, you know, this is fairly new. Obviously, you know, probably it, it started with maybe theater in the medieval times or something like that, or, you know, Shakespearean plays. And, and there's always been, you know, there's been uh, the gladiators and so on. And then you get to like our modern time and we do, we, we've kind of like put these people on pedestals that, you know, sometimes I think they're probably get there and they go, why the hell are they listening to me? about politics i'm just an actor you know so uh it's it's a very it's a whole other conversation realistically yeah um steph this was really fun i'm really glad that we had this conversation and hopefully we cleared up any sort of misconception for people um if people want to get in touch with you what's your instagram Uh, it's at steph marco s-t-e-f underscore m-a-r-c-o okay and then if they want to find uh the radically honest love summit radicallyhonestlove.com and our big website our big movement is a love revolution so it's a loverevolution.com awesome well thank you very much i appreciate you coming and doing this thank you so much brad this was so fun i love talking to you awesome all right thank you